to the Travel Squad podcast. We adventure the world together, one passport stamp at a time. We're here to share travel news, tips, and our own adventures with you. Every Travel Tuesday, we share stories on a variety of topics, including our hometown, San Diego, hiking, weekenders, national parks, international getaways, and inspiring you to go on your own adventures, even if it starts with your own backyard. I'm Jamal. Brittany. And I'm Kim. And And we're we're the the Travel Travel Squad Squad Podcast. Podcast. So grab your ticket and your passport. And don't forget your travel insurance. And prepare for takeoff. Welcome to this week's episode of the Travel Squad podcast. Today, we're taking you to Acadia National Park in Maine. I'm really excited to talk about this trip. We actually went for my birthday, which is in October, and we went in 2022. And that actually happens to land during prime fall foliage. And our trip completely did not disappoint. And I'm so excited to share everything about our trip to Acadia and Bar Harbor, Maine with you guys. Yeah, I'm really excited to dive into this episode with you guys and talk about Acadia. I feel like for the longest time we've been talking about going to Acadia National Park. And I know we went for Brittany's birthday. Kim, you didn't come with us. I'm sorry it was not a squad trip, but we've always heard such good things about Acadia, one of the gems of the East Coast National Parks. And everything people say about Acadia is absolutely true. And to some extent, Kim, we kind of modeled this trip after your fall foliage trip to New England that you did, where you landed in Boston, drove up to New Hampshire, because we also did the fall color changes in Flume Gorge in New Hampshire, and worked our way up to Maine. You did not continue on to Maine in yours, but this trip was kind of inspired, and we added on that national park and i'm really excited to dive into it here but you inspired us on this one ken so even though you weren't with us physically you were in spirit good i should always be in spirit with you guys when you're traveling so acadia is from what i understand an amazing national park especially during the fall foliage season just absolutely gorgeous but i think a blocker for me and maybe some other people is that it's so far northeast, like the uppermost northeast you could go, that it seems hard to get to. And even driving from Boston, it's quite a few hours up on this trek. So I have that kind of built up in my head, but I think this episode's going to change my mind about it, inspire me to go. So I've been to this area in October myself, so I have an idea of what it looks like. But for everybody that hasn't, Can you just visually describe the scenery in Acadia National Park when you visited in October? Yeah, so when we visited in October, the mornings were a little overcast. There was a little bit of fog and mist in the air. There's a ton of trees and forests as you're driving down some of the main roads in Acadia. And you feel like you're almost tunneled in with the road being like your center point, but on the sides, there's just a beautiful, vibrant fall colors. You see the greens, the orange, yellows, the reds. And then as the fog starts to lift during the day, those colors become more and more vibrant. And as you do some of the hiking in Acadia, you get to see that from a bird's eye perspective. And you're just completely surrounded in this gorgeous fall foliage. And it's just so beautiful and serene to see. Maine's also on the coast. And so you get to see some of the sea cliffs paired with that forest and that fall color as well. So it's just really gorgeous. 
Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, it's almost a beautiful eeriness in the morning when it has that fog layer. But as the sun comes out, as Brittany noted, it becomes more beautiful and vibrant, those colors. But Acadia, as she said, is along the coast on the Atlantic Ocean. It's actually on an island, but do not worry. This island you can reach via car. They have a little bridge for you to get on. But if you look at a map, it's actually an island. And so here's this one little island with all this uh, surrounding of water, the Atlantic Ocean, bays and harbors with this fall foliage color, at least at the time in which we went. Of course, during summer, it's going to be a nice green and you'll still get that ocean vibe. But during that fall foliage time, pristine, beautiful, and really our first time in New England or anywhere in particular experiencing those colors. Because as always, you know, here on the West Coast, which is the mountains and everything that we're used to, our forests are evergreens for the most part. So we don't see those color changes like you guys do on the East Coast and absolutely breathtaking. So we like to start every episode with the tips, and I know you have some good ones for us for Acadia. So what would you recommend for someone visiting for the first time? Well, of course, as always, download the offline maps for sure. There are some parts where you're not going to get service in the park, so you're going to want to have the maps already downloaded so you can navigate to different places within the National Park, of course. Also, this National Park, some of the hikes and things that you might want to see are before you actually get to the fee entrance station and so you do have to have a pass for those spots still and so you would want to purchase them either online in advance or at the kiosk at the visitor center bulls visitor center and one of the most popular trails in acadia national park is the precipice trail and this is one of the trails where it's outside of where the entrance fee station is so that's a really good example of a hike or a trail that you might want to go on and need to have your visitor pass already purchased and displayed in your vehicle. Yeah, because these trails, more particularly the Precipice Trail, it starts outside of the National Park. The trailhead, of course, rest assured that final summit and where it's going to get you falls within it, but it is before the pay station. So you need that voucher or basically your entrance park fee receipt noted on your dashboard in the parking lot outside of the national park. So you do want to do that again, purchase it in advance or at that interesting that they would charge you for something that's outside of the park. Well, I mean, it's technically within the park boundaries, but I think because of the limited space on the Island and the way that the roads are, it's just, that's where they could set up the entrance fee because there's kind of like several roads that merge into one where the entrance fee station is and so i think that's why but also we've also talked a lot about the america the beautiful pass and so you know that's 80 dollars for a rolling year if you do have that pass just display it in your dashboard as well and then you don't have to worry about booking online or going to the visitor center advance you just put your national park pass in the window and you're good to go another tip regardless of if you're having to park for a trail that's outside of the national park or at least starts outside the national park or you are inside Parking is very, very limited, so you want to get there bright and early in the morning. Otherwise, you're going to be fighting for those limited available spots. Parking is so limited that they actually do, in fact, allow you to sometimes double park or park on the side of the road in certain areas that you would think is just normally drive on and you couldn't park, but um, you don't want to rely on that either. And part of the National Park, once you're inside, is a one-way 
So if you don't even get to your spot, you may be parking way down the road on a one way and having to walk back to where you want to go. Or circling back through and it could take quite a while depending on how much traffic is in the national park. I'm sure in peak seasons, there's a lot more. I read a lot about that. So it could take you longer to get to the trailhead you're going to if you're not willing to walk uh, that far distance and you're looking for a closer parking spot, but the roads become one way and you have to circle back around. Also, another really popular, famous thing to do is to watch the sunrise on Cadillac Mountain. But in order to do that, you do have to book reservations in advance from recreation.gov. You can't drive up the mountain itself without reservations, even during broad daylight. So whether you want the sunrise experience or you just want to visit during the day, you have to have reservations to drive up Cadillac Mountain. It is a $6 fee. Uh, tickets go on sale on recreation.gov in advance. 30% of the tickets are released 90 days in advance, and then the remaining 70% are released at 10 a.m. Eastern time, two days beforehand. So even if you don't get it, you still have another opportunity right before to see if you can score some of those amazing tickets to get up to Cadillac Mountain. Also, another tip, Park Loop Road and Cadillac Mountain close in the winter and parts of early spring. So be sure to track updates on the National Park website on when these things are going to close. That way you know how to plan your trip accordingly if you are going during those times. Another tip, of course, is where should you stay? The closest town to Acadia National Park is going to be Bar Harbor. It's the gateway to Acadia National Park. And to just be mindful, if you're going in off-season, which does start in October, actually, which is kind of surprising to me because October still has a lot of those peak colors, a lot of the restaurants and businesses start to close down for the season. So you just want to be sure in advance, like if you're going in late October, probably most things are going to be closed. In earlier October, not so much, but you'll start to see some of those uh, shutdowns. While we were there, I think we were there mid-October, we started to hear other restaurants and businesses say that it's their last day. They're closing down for the season. We did pass a few restaurants on our way driving that were already closed and would have signs up in their window saying, see you next season. So this area really does shut down for winter. And so just be prepared. Keep that in mind if you're planning a trip during that time. Oh, I'm sure it's super snowy in the winter. So if, if October and the fall foliage is shoulder season, peak season I'm assuming is summer for sure, maybe even a little bit of spring, what's the draw for summer peak season? I think they just have really good weather then. They do have a beach in Acadia, so you can go out and explore the beach. Maybe actually, even though it's going to be cold, be able to get into the water some. And it's going to be really green. There's going to be a lot of really great hiking as well. There's some lakes, and that draws people in as well. So... There are other things to see, although we were going specifically for fall foliage, and that's the shoulder season, although I, I would think that that's like probably one of the best times to go. I would say, too, of course, I mean, to see it with the color change is beautiful, but to your point of your question beyond that, Kim, I feel like summer anywhere is always going to be busy. People just have time off from work, it's their vacation, so it's a little bit more crowded. Maybe people don't like the colder weather, even though it's not freezing or snowing quite yet in October. So I think a lot of that plays into it. And I, I would love to go back if I was there in that time of summer, although I can't even imagine the traffic because our little off season, there was pretty crowded in there already as it was, fighting the roads and traffic and finding parking. But 
Yeah. All right. So we're through with the tips. Let's go full in. Where did you guys fly into and what did you guys do first? So I think Jamal mentioned that we did fly into Boston and we did drive up through New Hampshire. We're not going to focus on the New Hampshire portion because it's really a copycat of what you did in New Hampshire. And we did release an episode on that. We went to Flume Gorge and we saw some of the fall foliage there. We did do a hike in New Hampshire as well further up. But from Boston to Acadia without stops is a four and a half hour drive. However, there are other options because that is a long drive. You can fly into Portland, Maine, which is a one of the bigger airports in Maine. That's a three hour drive to Acadia National Park. So still pretty far. Or you can fly into Bangor International Airport, which is one hour away. We actually did pass Bangor on our way to Acadia. And they did have signs on the fence saying that they do have flights from Boston daily. So that's another option as well if you can get to Boston pretty easily, but then just kind of take like a smaller plane to get to Bangor. Yeah. So we ended up driving through all the way from Boston. And again, we did stop in New Hampshire, but we didn't stay the night or anything. It was just kind of a long drive that day with stops. So by the time we got into Bar Harbor, which again is the closest town to Acadia National Park, which by the way, I love small, quaint towns. And Bar Harbor is that town. Like just when I was there, I was so excited. Like even though it's geared toward tourism, no doubt, you really get that authentic mom and pop feel, which I really, really appreciated. It wasn't too commercially, even though there is stuff like that, no doubt, but not like on an obscene level. It really kept that small town feel, given that a major national park is nearby. So I really, really did appreciate that about Bar Harbor. I think I know the answer to my own question, but is Bar Harbor on the coast? And so is it like a very coastal fishing type town? Yes, it definitely is. I can picture it in my head now. I'm getting the vibe. Yes. And so keeping with that coastal town theme, of course, I know this isn't for you. We love seafood and you can't go to Maine without getting lobster. So Brittany and I, before this trip, we kept talking to ourselves, we got to get some lobster rolls when we're in Maine. Like, even though it's cliche, we're like, we got to do it. So we found a particular restaurant that supposedly had some of the best lobster rolls while in Bar Harbor. And that was the Thirsty Whale Tavern. And we really enjoyed the lobster rolls. Sometimes lobster rolls for me are hit and miss. Sometimes I'd much rather just have like a lobster tail, drawn butter, but these ones were good. I wouldn't say it was like the best lobster roll I ever had, but definitely not of the worst. And I enjoyed it. We also got a bowl of clam chowder and lobster bisque. Again, keeping with that seafood theme. Well, it came with it. It was the sandwich plus a soup and you had the choice of clam chowder or lobster bisque. So I got one, Jamal got the other. We both got lobster rolls. I will say the clam chowder was better. The lobster bisque left a little bit to be desired at the Thirsty Whale. Maybe we went on an off day, but even if you don't want to do the lobster rolls or seafood, great little local tavern for you to get like a burger or anything else, something like that that you would like. And then after dinner, it was pretty late. So we just went and had and we headed to our Airbnb. Our Airbnb was super cute. We actually rented a room and it was inside a building that looks like a house or was a house, but it was turned into a massage day spa business. And so we had our own private little bedroom suite and it had a pretty large bathroom. So there was an area within the bathroom that had like a mini fridge, a microwave. They had some snacks and like just like little granola bars and some things like that. And because it was at a spa, we had robes for us after our showers to relax in. 
And it was a prime location in the heart of downtown Bar Harbor. So I felt like it was a really good find on Airbnb. And that was just a room, not the full place. Correct. We entered through a back entrance and there were other suites like that, but each one was themed differently. And each one had a name as well, like each room was named. And so you would just kind of like follow the sign of the stairs and then go to your room. And each room had a different like individual code to put on the door. And so that's how you would access it. We didn't see anyone else while we were there, but I do know that they uh, rent out more rooms than just the one. Oh, yeah. So again, the bottom level is a business and a day spa. The upper level has three, if not four, fully furnished different themed rooms like Brittany's talking about. So again, we didn't cross paths with anybody, but uh, we had a really nice one. And I, I really loved the experience of that place because it was so quaint and it almost fit the town. So it was almost like an all-encompassing experience that just really enhanced the vibe. Oh, that's so cool. We'll link this in the show notes in case any of you listening would like to check this place out for your trip. Yeah, I would highly recommend it. Uh, it was a great stay. But- hey, squatties, let's take a quick detour to talk about our travel itineraries that we've created just for you. We just launched several new international trip itineraries, including Tulum and Japan. This is on top of the itineraries we already have for U.S. trips like the Hawaiian island of Kauai, the U.S. Virgin Islands, as well as national park trip itineraries, including Utah's Mighty Five National Parks and a week at Grand Teton and Yellowstone. These fully built out 20 to 30 page PDF guides are available for instant download on our site right now. Every detail of the trip is laid out for you. So all you have to do is download, book, show up and have fun. The itineraries tell you where to fly into, the exact route to take, where to stay, park entrance prices, where to eat, driving distance between attractions, the things to see and do, even the hikes we recommend, their mileage, and the time to allot for each one. And believe it or not, so much more. Be sure to head over to TravelSquadPodcast.com to download your very own comprehensive travel itinerary today. Hey, squaddies, we want to share one of our favorite travel products with you. Liquid IV is a category-winning hydration brand fueling your well-being while traveling. One stick fits into 16 ounces of water to give you three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks and hydrates you two times faster than water alone. Their half-ounce hydration multiplier powder packet is the one product you need in every suitcase, carry-on, and day pack. We use it while flying on planes because flights can be so dehydrating. We use it when we feel jet-lagged, when we're out on a hike, and after a long night out that has us feeling worn out. In just one stick, you get five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. Liquid IV also now comes in 12 delicious and refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Our favorites are the lemon-lime and tangerine with immune support. It's made with premium ingredients, all non-GMO and gluten, dairy, and soy-free. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use Travel Squad Podcast at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop better hydration today using promo code Travel Squad Podcast at liquidiv.com. But then we went to sleep on Saturday night. We woke up bright and early on Sunday. And of course, we're in Maine. If you guys didn't know, Maine is a big producer, the largest in the U.S., of wild blueberries. 
And so we actually had breakfast at Jordan's and Jordan's is a Bar Harbor staple. It's been in business since the 70s. It's a like no frill mom and pop restaurant. We did end up getting a vegetable omelet and then of course their famous blueberry pancakes with real maple syrup. They were really good. Oh my god that sounds so good. Yeah it was so good. I will say like their coffee probably wasn't the best. It's just kind of like the diner drip coffee but it was just like a real mom and pop feel and like we could see the owner the chef kind of cooking and they just have it down to a science like their business model is just like very efficient it was really cool to just kind of like watch the production line and like them throw orders at him and then him just like getting them all right and like serving them all up super quickly and i would just want to reiterate the vibe clearly we're tourists going in there for the national park and of course we're not the only ones and there's a lot of them but even when you walked in, you can tell like that this is a local spot and locals come here too. And so again, that vibe of caters to tourists because it is what it is, what it's there, but it keeps its local charm and it really is still local. It just can't be, you know, overstated how cool that is about Bay Harbor. And one of the things I really appreciated most about this trip beyond the nature. So after breakfast, of course, you know, we're going into the national park and doing some hiking. So that omelet, and blueberry pancakes was our fuel. So what did we do first, Brittany, once we got into the National Park? Well, we originally wanted to hike first thing in the morning, but I was watching the weather. So this is another tip, too, is watch the weather and see what the weather is going to be like during the day. And I saw that the weather forecast was that it was going to be overcast, gloomy until about 10 to 11 a.m. And so I was like, well, if we summit a peak and it's cloudy, what am I really going to see? So we decided to kind of scratch that idea. We headed over to a place called Sand Beach. And it's actually where we would have started the trail that we were going to hike anyways. But it's a gorgeous little beach that's nestled between the mountains and the rocky shores. It's right after the entrance fee station. And it was foggy when we got on the beach, but it was really adding to like the ambiance, the environment, and we just kind of scoped out that area for a little bit. Yeah, and I really liked this spot in the morning while it was still overcast. I mean, if you hearken back, Kim, to when we were in the Pacific Northwest, almost on the Atlantic Northeast, it kind of feels like that same vibe along the ocean in some sort of way, but yet ironically different. I really can't explain it well, but it gave me those vibes, but different, almost like I knew I was on the East Coast in some way. And the fog, it just really enhanced it. And eventually later, we made our rounds and came back to that spot when the sun was actually out. And I was like, this beach looks completely different. Like, it felt like a different beach. So I would say, like, if you're there, see it in the morning with the fog, if it is going to be foggy, and then check it out later because it's a completely different dynamic and feel. Then from there, we headed over to a spot called Thunder Hole. And so it's a popular stop on the Park Loop Road. And this is where it does become one. You are on a one way street at this point. But it's this carved out little inlet along the shore. And it reminds me of if anyone has been to Ensenada and gone to La Bufadora. It reminds me of that. It's just a little less impressive than the La Bufadora. It's called Thunderhole because it makes like this loud, thunderous sound and you can hear it before you see it. But it makes that sound when the waves are forced into like the narrow channel and the best time to hear and see it is like one to two hours before high tide and the waves will get up to like 40 feet in height at that point. Yeah, so basically the water flows in through that narrow channel, comes out almost like a water spout or like through a whale's blowhole like up and out and makes that thunderous sound. 
So there are a few places in the world where it does that. Ensenada, we're familiar with La Bufadora. We've talked about it before. I forget what island, but I think there's even a place in Hawaii that has something like this. And here we are now, Atlantic Coast in Acadia National Park with the same thing. So cool to see as you're going by. Did you guys happen to see it during high tide? No, we didn't see it during high tide. I don't know what it was specifically. We saw it get up there, but it definitely wasn't 40 feet tall. And I know it wasn't high tide at that point. Yeah, we were watching it for maybe about 10 minutes. And I think only one time in that 10 minutes, it really had an impressive burst. Otherwise, you can actually like hear it kind of like churning and building up and then it would do it. But it wasn't as impressive as you would think of the sounds that were coming through like we kept saying like, oh, we think we're going to see it. We think we're going to see it. And then it was kind of like a dud. So only the one time did we catch it. So look at the tide pattern and see. And again, you're on the one way at this point. So if you miss it and you want to see it again later at high tide, keep in mind, you're going to have to drive the whole way around the park to do it. So that's one of the things that goes into the planning of Acadia is just minding the one way road. And we're talking about them in order because it's one way. So this is the order we went in to not miss anything. We went to a place called Otter Cliff. Otter Cliff is a 110 foot tall sea cliff that overlooks the Atlantic Ocean. When we were here, it was still early enough in the morning where it was still really foggy, but it made for really good, beautiful pictures. I got this great picture sitting on the rocky cliff edge with a fog surrounding me. You can't see the water below you. Um, and then we did come back to the spot later when it was sunny and had really beautiful views of the Atlantic and we could actually see the coastline and then the fall colors. So it was nice to see the contrast in that, but it was really cool to see. And this is a good scenic spot for photos. And when Brittany says she got a really good photo sitting on the rock cliff edge, I just want to reiterate it. Brittany has way bigger cojones than me when it comes to taking photos and getting close to the edge. Like she gives me a heart attack sometimes. Like this is literally right off the edge and she's getting close. Sometimes we'll sit down and dangle her feet. Sometimes won't sit down, but have her back turned to the edge, but be close to it. And I always have to tell her, be careful. So I granted you, you don't have to get in that precarious of a situation here on Otter Cliff to get those great photos, but Brittany likes to do that. And I want to just commend you for your bravery Brittany, on those photos that you take. Thank you. Thank you. like to live on the edge a little bit. Sounds like you. <laughs> it does. <Here's> better. <laughs> There's another point along this drive called Otter Point Overlook, and it's another beautiful overlook featuring, of course, the Atlantic Ocean, the rugged cliffs and coastline. You can kind of walk around this area and just like peruse and check it out. It's really nice. It was really beautiful. And then we went to, there's a lot of places in Acadia called like Otter Cove, Otter Point, Otter Cliff. So then we went to Otter Cove. We were actually going to skip this overlook and I'm really glad we decided not to. I think as we like started to approach it, we're like, oh no, there's FOMO. If we pass it, we're gonna have to circle back around the whole time, you know, around again. We don't want to miss anything. And I'm really glad we did stop here. But at this point, the fog layer started to lift and we could see across this little cove area and there were a ton of trees on the other side displaying their beautiful fall colors it was a really beautiful backdrop we enjoyed hanging out here for a few minutes and just taking in the scenery taking some photos so i would recommend stopping at otter cove overlook as well you know what otter cove overlook reminded me of kim it reminded me to some degree of when we were in grand teton national park and we were leaving and do you remember in the morning we were at like schwaberg or landing and it just kind of had like that little pond and we got the scenic look of the mountains. I will not say it's at that grand of a scale, but it's one of those kind of like little spots when you're there, you have the water 
to look at. That's kind of like a little inlet coming in from the ocean. But then on the other side, you have the mountain itself. But of course, we had the fall color change this time. So it had that little vibe to be where it was like this peaceful, serene area. So if any of you guys are familiar with Grand Teton National Park and Schwaberger Landing, it gave me those type of vibes. That sounds beautiful. And it also, the way I'm picturing it in my head, it's like you're seeing it and there's no one around. Were there any crowds there at that moment? There was only one other car there and they did end up leaving. So we did have the spot available to just us for a good amount of time before we moved on ourselves. Very nice. That just adds to it, I think. Yeah, I think while other people were heading to trailheads, I was like, well, I don't want to waste that on not being able to see like a, a very nice view from the top of the summit. So we decided to continue along the road. And I don't think we've mentioned it before, but the road, the scenic road in Acadia National Park is 27 miles long. So just keep that in mind. At some point, again, it does become a two-way road and you can kind of cut back through, but you're driving not super fast. So it can take 40 minutes, an hour to drive the whole loop, depending on traffic and like where, what area you're going to. Yeah. And I really appreciate the fact that it was overcast in the morning because again, we were going to hike the Beehive Trail first, which we'll talk about, you know, later when we get to it. And that was actually where we went to first, Sand Beach. You're supposed to park there. But when we realized, hey, like we're going to hike and we're going to see nothing. It's almost like when we were in Kauai and we did that one that was supposed to give us the views of the Nepali coast. And then we get to the edge and it's all cloudy and we can't even see a thing. So we definitely did not want that. I cannot believe that hike. I still think about that. It was a hard hike, too, and I think we started early in the morning for this amazing view of the Nepali coast because we couldn't actually hike the trail that had destroyed from mudslides. So we had built it up. We'd worked our way up there and nothing. You couldn't see anything. And we didn't want that for our hike that we were going to do in Acadia. So I think a lot of people maybe were just like, well, we're still doing it in the morning. Maybe it'll clear out. Plus, you want to really do those in the morning because, like I said, the parking will get very, very bad. But to that point, though, it made it more beneficial on other areas of the park along the one way where we got to experience it on our own. So I would say, you know, plan accordingly on how you would like, but you could experience it on your own if you bypass the hiking first and just try to troop the parking a little bit later. But from Otter Cove, we worked our way to a cool spot called Jordan Pond, not to be confused with the, the Jordan's Diner and place that we were talking about earlier, a different name for different reason. But this area is really cool. You could do a 3.1 mile loop. It's relatively flat. I think it only had like a 40 foot elevation gain around the entire lake itself. Beautiful, clear colors there. We were actually going to do that and we started it and then we're like well is the view going to be any different from this side to the other and we're just like well we've already spent a good bit of time doing this let's get to our hike before it gets any later in the day and more crowded so we didn't actually end up completing it but it would have been nice to go around it. yeah we did walk around por a portion of it and jordan's pond is one of the most pristine lake it's surrounded by the mountains so you have beautiful mountain scenery and the mountains were carved by glaciers and so like that's what filled the lake it was really pretty really beautiful glad we stopped here if i were to do this trip again they have a restaurant in this area called the jordan pond house where you can actually get popovers and tea. And I didn't know that until like while we were on this trip. And so we didn't make reservations, which you should do. When we passed it, there was quite a wait for it. So we didn't get to do that, but I would totally go back to Acadia, number one, and Bar Harbor. 
and I would you could definitely find me getting tea and popovers at this pond house. Mm, you know, Acadia sounds like a culinary vacation. It is. It really is. On top of being able to hike around the lake, if you didn't want to do that, you can get on the water, a canoe or kayak on the lake as well. There is a gift shop in this area too. So this area is kind of a busy area of the park and I definitely enjoyed it. If you were visiting again in October or one of the squatties takes this trip, how cold would it be if you decided to go kayaking or canoeing? Well, during the day, once the sun came out, I was hiking with just a tank top on and some pants. So it got warm enough to feel comfortable. On the water, it could be a little cooler. So you might want like a light a light windbreaker, a light jacket, but it definitely got sunny. And when you're in the middle of the sun and you're soaking in all those rays, you get warm pretty quickly. You get warm, but when we were walking the path of the part that we did around it, you don't remember catching that breeze off the water and it got a little bit chilly. Yeah, but we were also more in the morning versus mid that's true and it's shaded that trail is shaded too so there's that with it but you know i would say it's definitely doable just take your um layers that you can break off but i wouldn't say it's absolutely freezing depending on what time of day it's easily done if you want to do you think it'd be a good viewpoint to see the fall colors and surrounding trees and mountains and all that from the water? You know, uh, that's a really good perspective, Kim. And I do think so, because the entire time you're walking along the lake shore, you're walking through like the forest. And so being on the lake and being surrounded by the mountains and the forest, that's probably a really good vantage point to get some really good shots. So from Jordan's Pond, we did stop at the visitor center. Our goal here was, of course, to stop in and get a Christmas ornament. However, they actually didn't have any that we liked, so we didn't buy any, but we did see the kiosk here to purchase your National Park entrance fee pass if you needed to go to that kiosk. And we ended up getting a Christmas ornament while we were shopping in downtown Bar Harbor. And so that was kind of our stop just to check out the visitor center. We love to check out visitor centers, see what they offer while we're on our trip. You know what? We go to the visitor center every single time, and usually they're pretty much the same. Like, we're always like, let's see what they have, but like, it doesn't change much. You know, though, I feel like some visitor centers are a little bit different, though. Like, for the most part, you are so correct with that assessment, Kim, but I feel like sometimes there's that one that's just like, ah, this is actually a cool one. And we've been to a few of them. I wasn't expecting the visitor center here to be grand, but for such a famous national park and well known one, I was hoping their ornament game in the official store of the National Park would be a little bit more on point, and that it was not, especially in comparison to the ornament that we picked up in Bar Harbor, which I think is fire for Acadia that we have. So there's that. So the visitor center here is a little bit lacking, but if you want to know more of the history of the park and actually nature aspects of it too, uh, of course, the visitor center is nice in that regard. I do have one question about the National Park. While you're in it, is there anywhere that you could stop and get a bite to eat? Some national parks have cafes and the visitor centers have food. Did this one have any of those options? Well, it did have the Jordan's Pond House, which had the gift shop and then the restaurant. So there, there is that spot to eat within the park. But other than that, I really didn't see anything else that was food oriented within the park. Yeah, because so close just outside the park is uh, Bar Harbor. So I think a lot of people really do that. That's really the one main spot to get stuff is at uh, Jordan's Pond. Bar Harbor, by the way, you know, sometimes we talk about staying outside of the parks and like working our way in. Bar Harbor is like really close. It's like a 10 to 15 minute drive from the park. So 
Oh, nice. It's not like you were driving an hour to to like the park entrance and then you have to wait all of that time. And I think to the point too, Kim, of what you were saying earlier about it, you think it's odd parking outside of the national park is because the city is right there. So there really is only so limited undeveloped space left of where they could then have the entrance. Very nice. All this food talk has just got me thinking about a future episode that we should do, like ranking the food options in national parks. Oh, is King's Canyon going to be number one? <laughs> I was about to say it's going to be dead last. Dead <laughs> last. Yeah, we've had some good ones and we've had some bad ones looking at you, King's Canyon. Oh, yeah. So we headed on from the visitor center to the Beehive Trail Loop, which was going to be the hike that we did first thing in the morning. And this hike is really famous because it has a really short steep incline, but you're hiking up these like iron rungs on the side of the cliff. So right up your alley, Kim, I know you love adrenaline rushes, adventure, hanging on the edge. But this trail is super popular. We had a hard time finding parking at the beach parking lot. The trail itself isn't very long. It's only like a one and a half mile trail. It goes up like 500 feet in elevation gain. And while you're hiking up, you get to a point where you can see the side of the cliff and like where people start to climb up the iron rungs. And there was actually quite a bit of a line. And it's not like you can bypass these people because, you know, when you're hiking and you're sharing a trail, you can kind of go around people. But when people are hiking up iron rungs, it's not like you can be like, step over, I'm going in, you know, like you're kind of in a, a in a line sequence. And we were looking up on the side of the cliff and we could see all of the people there. And I was like, it just doesn't seem like it's worth the wait to just to experience that. So luckily I did some research in advance and I saw that on the same trail, because the beehive loop, it's a loop and you can only go up that way. You can't go down the rungs. So you can, you have to go down like this backside. You can hike up that backside and get to the same summit area without doing the iron rungs and get to the same summit and viewpoint. Okay. And now we're talking. And it's actually less crowded. So while we were hiking up, we came across some people and I asked them, did you guys do it? They're like, no, we did this other way because it just doesn't look worth it. Like that looks like it's going to add an extra hour just to be able to do that for the novelty of saying like you hiked on these like iron rungs and on the cliff, but you're still going to get the same view at the top, same mileage, same everything. You're just not going to get that one piece of it. Is the view worth going from the backside? Yeah, absolutely. You get to the same viewpoint. And so we did that. It was a lot less crowded. We got to the top in no time. We actually got to pass a lake as well because we were coming from the back and where you can go down the trail is like a little bit off to the side. No one was coming to the viewpoint we were at. So we had that viewpoint all to ourselves and it was absolutely gorgeous and stunning. Yeah. And that trail is actually called the bull trail. So you can start the beehive trail. And if you don't go up the one way with the rungs and you do it around the back way, it's called the bull trail. And quite honestly, you know, this is one of the main ones here, of course. And again, you want the novelty. It's the coolness of your scaling the rocks with the iron rungs. But, you know, we've done Zion. That's in a drill in, in Russia, all in and of itself. So we're just like, even though this is a signature hike here, like we didn't really want to wait the hour backup that it really was to just do it when we could get it done quicker because we actually knew we wanted to drive the one way around the road again when we were done. This is Brittany over 30. <laughs> <laughs> is it me over 30? 
I mean, I was just like, I don't want to wait. There was so much to do in Bar Harbor too that we wanted to see and do and eat that I was like, why waste an extra hour when we can like go back into town and like grab a drink, grab a beer, grab something to eat. So we decided not to do the difficult, adventurous part of the trail, but the more practical, time-saving, efficient part of the trail. And views were absolutely worth it. You are at a summit. You see all of the fall foliage underneath you, the forest beneath you, and then you get a view of the Atlantic as well. Of course, we're going to post pictures for you guys to see. And then I would say the Beehive Trail, and we mentioned the Precipice Trail. Those are probably two of the most popular trails in the park, and they're both popular because they both require the scaling of the iron rungs. But the reason why we were focusing more on the Beehive Trail than the Precipice Trail was actually because the Beehive Trail was shorter. I read that it had better views most of the way going up. So overall, it's like a better bang for your buck if you're doing the research on which of these two trails you should do. Then after that, Jamal and I did drive the drive the road again. We stopped at a lot of some of the same viewpoints and got to see it while things were sunny, bright, vibrant. And then from there, we headed into Bar Harbor to get some good eats. And were you staying at the same Airbnb? Yes, we stayed in the same Airbnb. Went into Bar Harbor to get some good eats and some good drinks. You know, like we said earlier, that blueberry theme is strong in Maine and in Bar Harbor just as well. So we found a brewery that we wanted to go to to just get drinks and a little bit of food before we ate like our serious meal. And guess what type of beer we had, Kim? Blueberry Blonde. Blueberry beer. I don't remember if it was a blonde or not, but it was a blueberry beer and it was absolutely delicious. And also, I just want to point out, like we said, Maine has the largest is the largest producer of blueberries in the world, specifically wild blueberries. They go crazy with their blueberries. I mean, they have blueberry pancakes, blueberry soda, blueberry beer, blueberry pie, blueberry cheesecake. And we wanted to try it all. So we did. We did. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we went to that brewery. It was called Atlantic Brewing. We did have that blueberry ale, as we said. And then we went to West Street Cafe to try their lobster mac and cheese and blueberry pie. This place, West Street Cafe, came up highly rated as good places to uh, try those things. And we're like, we have to do it. And how did it measure up? It was good. The lobster mac could have been a little bit better. But it, in terms of portion size, it was a small size. And of course, anything with lobster in it is like a higher price tag. Blueberry pie was absolutely delicious. Would recommend getting it from there. And so I was happy with the experience. I mean, there's a ton of different cafes, restaurants to get blueberry pie from. Super hard hitting question for you on the blueberry pie. Did it come a la mode? Yes, it did. It did come a la mode. And of course, we got it a la mode. Why would we not get it a la mode? Oh, man, you can't have a warmed up like fruit pie like that, like apple, blueberry, whatever, and not have that ice cream on top. Yeah. Good point. Good point. <laughs> yeah. So then we continued after we got our little fixing of some food to just kind of really enjoy Bar Harbor during the day. Because, again, the day before when we arrived, it was at night. It was still cute and quaint, but we we're like, we need to get to bed because we're going to wake up early. So we did spend a lot of time exploring it. So this was really our time to do it. It's such a beautiful, walkable town, again, filled with those restaurants, boutiques, gift shops, and keeping that local charm. Yeah, and it's a very walkable town. So wherever you can find parking is, you can find parking, park, and then you just walk town. Very easy to navigate, very easy to go around, very cute, quaint. And about how big is the town? Like, if you wanted to walk it front to back, 
how long would you estimate you need? I would say like to see what you want and need to see of the quaint area that's really important. I mean, you can walk up and down it in 30 minutes without stopping, probably even less than that. It's not very big in that regards. But if you're going to stop, browse, go into gift shops, things like that, you probably want a good hour or two. Maybe even longer, probably longer. I'm talking in just in terms of size. Like if you're just walking from one side to the next, that's all you really need of the more important stuff. But really everything is concentrated to like a grid pattern downtown, like within a couple blocks of the main area. This is coming from the guy who was ragging on Nashville because it was just four blocks for Broadway. Yeah, but that's Nashville and everybody. And by the way, Kim, it's actually two blocks, two blocks. And to have it be a big tourist attraction to just go see Honky Tonk and several bars on two blocks on two blocks of one street, I think is a little bit crazy. But that's Nashville. We're talking small, quaint. You know, this is small town America. It's beautiful and I love it. While we were downtown, we decided to grab some pizza for dinner at Rosalie's Pizza. It was really good. And for you guys, a squad tip, whenever we order pizza on a trip for dinner, we always order like an extra large or a large and we always save the extras, put it in our fridge at like our hotel or Airbnb. And then typically we eat that for breakfast the following morning, especially if we're on a time constraint. We've done that a lot on some of these like other trips. So that's exactly what we did. Mushrooms or mushrooms? Of course there's mushrooms, Kim. (laughs) I don't even know what kind of question that is. If you're not with us, there's going to be mushrooms on the pizza. (laughs) From there, we also ordered a blueberry soda. And I wasn't quite sure what to expect, but it was actually surprisingly pretty good. And I enjoyed the blueberry soda. I just wanted to try it, you know, since everything was blueberry themed in Maine. Oh, well, in keeping with that blueberry theme, Brittany said it earlier, we wanted to try it all. Everything blueberry that they had. I feel like when in Maine, you know, we went wild with the seafood and the lobster. So why not do it with, you know, their state fruit, which I guess is going to be the blueberry, right? So there was this one place called the Bar Harbor Cheesecake Company that we really wanted to try. We looked online, saw it was really highly rated, really great cheesecake. So we're like, all right, we're going to go get that, but we're just going to take it as a dessert and eat it back at the Airbnb. So we went in there. It's a nice little shop. It almost kind of reminded me a little bit of extraordinary desserts here in San Diego, Kim, just that kind of like crafty vibe, right? You know, and real specialty into what it is that they do. So of course, you know, they have all sorts of flavors, but they had several blueberry flavors variations. So we asked her, well, which one do you think is actually the best who was working there? She gave her recommendation. We ended up getting the um, blueberry cheesecake with chocolate truffles. So pretty, pretty good. I think it had a little bit of hint of like red wine in there too, didn't it? Or something like Like, that. Um, And so we're like, all right, this is what we're going to go ahead and get. And, you know, we got the individual like small little single round size cheesecakes that they sell. And then I couldn't even believe it when she rang it up and told me what the price was. You know, usually, you know, this when we're on vacation, we're like, F it, you know, we're on vacation, whatever. But had Brittany and I both known how much they were going to charge for that cheesecake uh, beforehand, we would have not gotten it. But I didn't want to be that person once they rung it up to be like, uh, never mind. But I couldn't even believe it. Oh, well, how much was it? It was like a $20 cheesecake. I think it rang up at like $18 or $19 plus tip. Was it like the whole cheesecake or just I mean, like the whole cheesecake? But again, this cheesecake looks like four inches because it's a single serving, like around small cheesecake. I would say four inches, Brittany, is generous. It was like a three by three round circular, like individual portion size cheesecake for $20. What a steal. 
from a craft shop like that, maybe it is, you know, but uh, wow. So just if you're going to be going there, know that your dessert is going to be a splurge if you go to Bar Harbor Cheesecake Company. Yeah, so we decided we were really full from eating all day long, so we decided to take that home. We went back to our Airbnb, and we decided to watch some Netflix and chill to go wind down the night, and we ate half of it while we were in bed. For Netflix and chill, did you guys bring the Amazon Fire Stick, or did they have one there? They actually did have Amazon, I think, already connected, mm. so I don't think we did have to bring our fire stick. So we brought it, but we didn't do it because the TV that they had in there was already set up with username and logins from the host for Netflix, Hulu, all that. Squatties, we have the Amazon Fire Stick on our Amazon storefront, and you might have wondered, like, why why is this on there? This is not a travel product, but this is the perfect reason why. And I love to do this if you're kind of tapped out for the night, but you're not ready to go to bed. You want to watch one of your favorite shows. Maybe it just aired and you don't want to disrupt your life so much from travel. This is a traveler's best kept secret. Bring your own Amazon Fire Stick and enjoy your night. I know you guys also were getting up really early the next morning. So about what time did you go to bed? We probably went to bed in the nine o'clock hour because we were going to be waking up for sunrise the next day. The next morning, which was Monday, which happened to also be, um, was that my birthday morning? I think it was. Or it was the day after because before we did the sunrise in Maui for your birthday, if you remember, at Haleakala, that was actually on your birthday. This, I think, was the day after your birthday. We ended up going to Cadillac Mountain for sunrise. Again, like I said, you do need reservations for sunrise or to even drive the road. And you should get there an hour prior to sunrise. When you're at the top of a peak, we've talked about this in Haleakala, it's going to be cold, especially for sunrise. We were going in October, of course, so be sure to pack accordingly. I was wearing a fleece sweater and then I had a windbreaker on top of that and I also had a beanie on, but it would be great if you also packed like a Turkish towel or some type of blanket to to sit on. We actually recently have released some merchandise with some picnic blankets. Those are perfect to put on the ground. They are waterproof on the bottom, so set those down. Find a good spot to watch the sunrise so you don't get wet. If the ground's a little moist from like the fog and the mist in the air and you're just going to sit there because when you get there an hour before sunrise, believe it or not, you start to see the sun, even though it hasn't gone above the horizon, you it does light up the sky still. So you want to be there beforehand to see all of those beautiful, vibrant colors and to get a spot to watch the sunrise. I really enjoyed this aspect. You know, a lot of times when we go to national parks, I say like, how can the sunrise be better than the last one we saw at this national park? And I thoroughly, you know, enjoyed this one here along the Atlantic coast, watching it rise from the east. It was really, really beautiful, really, really enjoyable. I loved it. I would highly recommend you do that if you're going to Acadia, is really try in advance to get those reservations on recreation.gov for the summit of Cadillac Mountain. So you guys were there for sunrise, and what time did the sunrise come up? So our sunrise was at 6.50 a.m. Oh, wow. That's one of the better sunrise times. That you guys have done? Yes, because, you know, obviously in fall, winter, the sun rises later. So that was actually really nice that it was going to be at 6.50. So we wanted to be there at 5.50. And then, of course, you get up probably about an hour before that to get ready and then drive. So we were probably up at like 4.30, 
4.45 that morning. So when you got there about an hour before sunrise, were you one of the first people there or were there already a lot of crowds? I wouldn't say it was overcrowded, but there was definitely a, other people there and people already stake their spot out. People want to be at like the very top of the summit to see the sunrise. And so that area can get a little crowded. One tip that I did read was to hike down just a little bit. And so that's what we did. We were able to get find a spot that had no one in front of us. So we had unobstructed sunrise views. And that was really nice. So be sure to do that. And this is my Brittany over 30 moment. I actually debated even wanting to do this sunrise, even though we had it booked and paid for. Because the forecast said that it was going to be overcast and cloudy. And I was just like, are we going to even be able to see the sunrise? Because like the draw is to be able to see the sunrise over the ocean. And so when you're on a mountaintop, there's going to be that cloud layer, especially if it's overcast. Like, are you going to even be able to see the ocean? So we did not see the ocean because it was cloudy, but there was this beautiful cloud layer and we got to watch the sun rise above that from the mountaintop. And it was really beautiful. It was serene. It was great. And I'm really glad that Jamal like really pushed for us to continue to go, even though I was like, I don't know, maybe we'll just skip it. Well, you know, we could have gotten lucky, but it's one of those things where even when we were at Haleakala, you know, in uh, Maui doing that, it's one of those things with the ocean. There's always a cloud layer. So I feel like you got to get really lucky to actually see it rise up above the water and not be at a summit and see it over the cloud layer. So that was the extent of what we did in Acadia National Park. We did, we packed in quite a lot in a very short amount of time. There's a few things that I would like to go back and do. I would love to go to this area called the Raven's Nest for sunset. It's supposed to be a little bit more remote, very scenic along the coast. There's like the small stone beach and it has like these dramatic views from this notch and cliff and rocky coastline. I looked up some pictures that looked really beautiful. It gave me a lot of like Oregon coast vibes um, in the scenic corridor. So I wanted to go there. Didn't have time to do that. I would love to hike the precipice trail as well. Try the iron rungs. It's one of the most popular trails in the park. And then of course, Maine's known for their lighthouses. I'd love to go to the Bass Harbor had light station and see the lighthouse there and then uh, i mentioned this earlier in the episode go to the jordan pond house and have popovers and tea so i feel like i have my itinerary already set for the next trip when i go back maybe kim you'll join us on that and we'll show you all of the highlights to acadia national park add the canoeing on the lake that would be great see beautiful vantage point we got to go in fall because i feel like that's my favorite season and it'll be fantastic well it sounds like you guys had a really great trip Wonderful birthday trip. Perfect for you. You got your sunrise. And I'm glad that you guys went. And I'm glad that you guys went before me. So now I, I can just copy and paste this trip. And you all listening can do the same. Exactly. And so we left um, after sunrise. We drove back to Boston because that's where we were flying out of. We also wanted to get there with enough time to spend half a day in Boston before we flew out the next morning. We had a really great time in Boston, just quickly going along like the Freedom Trail, getting some really good eats in the city. We'll have to visit Boston again and then do a Boston episode. I asked, actually asked Jamal, like, do you think we have enough content to do a Boston episode? He was like, no, but you know, Jamal. I feel like we were only there half a day. We need to make sure that we do more stuff. Like, I'm not... I've been to Boston. Well, that's very, very true. So take that back. Maybe we do have enough content, but at the same time, I feel like even your time in Boston 
was a little bit limited as was ours. So if we're going to do a great American city like Boston and do an episode on it, I feel like we need to do it proper. Squatty, sound off in the comments what you want us to report on from Boston and let Jamal know that you really want this Boston episode. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, when we did our Charleston episode, um, maybe we didn't have enough time to be in there. And a lot of people were not happy with our opinion in the Charleston one. And I would hate to do that to Boston and get that type of feedback. So that's where I'm coming from. But yes, squaddies, please let us know. For everyone that didn't like the Charleston episode, don't go listen to Maui. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of good content in Maui, but Jamal did harp on it quite a bit because he was just a little let down. But there's, there's a lot of good content. No, there's great content in Maui. I just, in terms of being my favorite Hawaiian island, that it is not. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to my favorite time of the week. We've got a couple questions of the week today. First question coming in from an anonymous squatty is, they're curious what Bar Harbor has to offer outside of the park and and the small town culinary experiences. Specifically, they asked, do they have any annual events or festivities that attract visitors? I know you guys mentioned a lot about blueberries. I'd be surprised if they didn't have a wild blueberry festival. Well, you know what's funny, Kim, is that other than my, what I've been harping on this entire episode of, I just love that it's local charm, given that it's in an area of major populace in terms of visitors coming because of Acadia. In terms of the actual festivals, that I'm not too sure. When we got this question, I actually did Google that. And like on the Bar Harbor's like official website, I'm seeing things of what they have in terms of festivals, but nothing crazy. I'm seeing like a slow flow yoga festival uh, thing that they have and other like little workshops that are thrown on by the community, but nothing really big. So I did not see a blueberry festival, although... If the Bar Harbor Chamber of Commerce happens to listen to this episode, maybe they should have a blueberry festival. Hey, we'll be the inaugural sponsors and ambassadors for the Wild Blueberry Festival. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> okay, second question coming in. Because this destination is so far northeast, can you get to Canada and how far would it take? You can definitely get to Canada from here. You know, you are along the coast of Maine. So if you take and look at the map of Maine, Acadia is maybe two thirds of the way up along the coast. So you have that last little third there before you get to Canada. In terms of directions into Canada, basically the next biggest city would actually be like St. John in New Brunswick. And I don't know if there's really a lot to do in St. John. It's along the coast. So in terms of, you know, going to Canada and having something to do, not really too sure about that. So back in my time of doing some travel blogging for on the brand side for work, I do know that St. John has a lot to offer, actually. Very nature focused, very much more desolate if you don't want to see the crowd. So if you enjoyed what you all experienced in Acadia with less crowds, you could, I guess, continue up north to Canada and head there as well. And then also, 
squaddies listening in from Canada, and I know there's a bunch of you, it could be an easy drive down into Acadia. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually just looking at a map right now, too. And from Acadia National Park to Quebec City is probably about a five and a half hour drive. Definitely doable. Yeah, but Quebec's not going to put you in Canada on the coasts and inland, but still a very big city within Canada, of course, Quebec. So I wasn't even thinking about that when you were saying it. I was thinking the closer portion of Canada along the, the coast there. But I had no clue you knew that about um, St. John, Kim, in terms of it being a really popular spot in New Brunswick from work. Yeah, no, I don't know if I would say most really popular, but in terms of having vast nature, cliff sides, that eerie, foggy feeling that, that you've all been describing during this episode, St. John is very good for that. And I can like picture it in my head right now. Well, we're going to have to check out St. John maybe when we go to Acadia, Cam. Tour de Canada coming up. Canada. I love it. All right, squaddies, we appreciate you tuning in to our episode this week. Please keep the adventures going with us all week long. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at Travel Squad Podcast. And send us in your questions of the week. If you found the information in this episode to be useful, or if you thought we were just plain funny, please be sure to share it with a friend that would enjoy it too. And as always, guys, you know it. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast, and tune in every Travel Tuesday for new episodes. Stay tuned for next week's episode. We have some more amazing adventures and tips in store for you. Bye, Squatty. Bye. Bye.